On today's episode of Tell Me What You Know, we ponder death and what comes after. Maybe you've thought about what you want done with your body once you pass to the other side, perhaps cremation or a classic six feet under situation. How about cryonics? That's what we're talking about today. Freeze yourself in time and cross your fingers that science advances enough to reanimate you at some point in the future. And then we're taking the red pill and venturing down the rabbit hole into virtual reality. The dream of putting ourselves into a computer program has been around a long time. Early devices that mimic depth were made as far back as the 1830s. Fast forward to today and we're using computers and headsets the size of ski goggles to make all your wildest dreams and I'm sure fantasies come true. Pinch yourself. This is not a simulation. This is Tell Me What You Know. What's going on, everybody? Today is Monday, May 18th. This is episode five of the second season of Tell Me What You Know. Got Memorial Day weekend coming up. Everybody heading out of town, going to the beach, the mountains, cookouts, the lake. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Some people are. Or is it? Some people are. I think. I think there's a lot of fatigue. People are just gonna. Yes. Gonna go. I, take their uh, chances. My aunt and uncle live down on the coast of North Carolina. Got an email this morning saying that they'd never seen traffic. There's like the three miles each way going up to the bridge to get on the island. It's just people everywhere. Like it's really? just slammed. I got another picture from Litchfield, South Carolina, Litchfield Beach, shoulder to shoulder on the beach. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, people are out. They're doing normal stuff. Free folk, the free folk outside of where we are. Yeah. Doing whatever they so want to do. The southern states are. That's right. <laughs> Once again, up here we are and uh, living as they like, just hanging out in solitude. Well, we'll certainly be interesting the next couple weeks. Then we should ideally you know tell whether or not it's still spreading yeah like if there's a a spike then we know like it's oh there's i think there's already been spikes in like minnesota and in georgia and all that kind of stuff i I haven't i haven't seen exact reports you know i I feel like i nobody knows anything i i just feel like depending on what news source you read or depending on uh the, the writer how it's framed i don't know yeah no for sure i mean i What's the point anymore? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> I did see that. I'm doing um, fine, but I did see that all the airplanes that uh, would usually be flying around right now. Yeah, the airlines had to you know move and store someplace because mm-hmm. you couldn't just like leave them at airports. So like, what do you do with an entire fleet of, of airplanes? So right. they're all just parked in this like outside of Tucson, just Arizona. A ton of airplanes. Just like sixty percent of the of the fleet of the U.S. Like that. I mean. I've been hearing like hundreds and hundreds of planes are just parked on the side of, of runways. Oh, wow. And they're just, they, they've got, um, why can't you just coverings. park them at different airports? I, I, there are like, it's a I dry there are, Tucson, so it's fine. <laughs> there's a lot of cheap space. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think they just cover it up with, they don't like, like let t- dust and stuff get in the engines. Mm-hmm. But I think like, you know, normal, like if you were going to park at Hartsfield Jackson or something, there are fees to parking there even landing there right so like that goes into the cost of every flight but you're not going to do that if you're just going to leave a plane maybe mm-hmm. maybe, maybe delta has um maintenance facilities there i'm sure but uh not just to park a plane and then just you know let it go kind of like they're pulling over the side of the road just leaving a camry on the side of the yeah. side of the road no it's weird. It's, i don't know anymore man i just wanted this to be over with so badly <laughs> yeah so badly yeah i know don't even feel like making jokes about it anymore. Oh, yeah. No, it's depressing. Because, one, there's not any more jokes to be made, I don't think. They've all been made. 
and mine aren't funny. So, well, at least this is on the backdrop of a of a sledgehammer song. Hopefully, that's that's pumping you up. Yeah, I hope you guys like that. We brought it back. (laughs) Bring on the copyright. (laughs) Let's get into this topic. A little spice. Let's do it, Michael. uh, Let's take it a step darker here. (laughs) Uh, So, when you die, yeah, what do you want to happen to your body? Cremated. You want to be cremated? Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me what you know about cryonics. Is that like deep freeze? Yeah. The, like the Disney World, uh, Walt Disney, I'm freezing my body yep. cryonics? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's just the idea as I've always been presented it was that if you froze your body before you died, mm-hmm. you could then be unfrozen at a later date when maybe there would be an advancement in uh, medical care right. that would be able to solve whatever ailment you would be presented with. Right. That's, that's what I've been told. Yes. And then you'd be, you know, woken sort of. back up. Your entity would just be frozen. Your Austin Powers coming You're back. Aus- exactly. Your yeah. Austin Powers coming back. Okay. Uh, you're on on some, you're spot on in some stuff. You're a little off on others. But okay. We'll get into it. So, cryonics from a conceptual basis, it does mean low temperature freezing for human bodies or heads or organs, anything like that, right? How low? Negative 196 degrees Celsius, negative 320.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Very cold. Say those numbers one more time. Negative 196 Celsius. Okay. I don't know why. Nobody cares. Negative 320.8 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, you can't really wrap your head around it. It's very cold. Very cold. Yeah. That's not, is that absolute zero? No. It's not. Okay. No. No. You don't have to get to absolute zero. Correct. I think it's like negative 420 or something. Hey, hey, bro, it's so cold. <laughs> the idea, like you said, is that there's a speculative hope that resurrection may be possible in the future, some kind of advancement in technology that's not currently attainable right now. But, you know, whether this is decades or centuries down the line from the point of cryo-freezing, who knows? Right. Uh, it's largely viewed as a pseudoscience or quackery. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, not a whole lot of, like, academia talking about it even yeah i mean it sounds like we can easily freeze you to that that number but as you said it has it sounds you need also the technology to unfreeze which right. hasn't been created yet. right yeah well but, but there's no point in unfreezing think, right well no but i think they're so they have been able to and we'll get into this a little bit more i think but they've been able to freeze and unfreeze like cell animal cells animal organs that kind of thing and they okay. keep their i don't know their their comp their composition is the same uh-huh. Whether or not they're used like useful, I'm not really sure. I didn't get into like the organs and tissue type stuff so much as just like the whole human and the brain and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um you so like you said, you know, you can freeze yourself and then hopefully in the future you'll have something to cure like whatever cancer or whatever Disease you have, right? You have, yeah. you, you're not legally allowed to be cryogenically frozen unless you're legal like clinical death, legally dead. So you have to die. So it's not like you'd be like, oh, I'm terminal, uh, freeze me and then cure me later. It's like I'm terminal, maybe like euthanize and then wake me back up later. Maybe you can treat that disease. I mean, it's crazy stuff for sure. Right. right. So they're saying you have to die. Be you have to be dead. legally dead. And then you say, rather than bury me or cremate me, freeze me. Yes. And then maybe later I can come back. Re- reanimation. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So advocates for this are known as cryonicists. They argue that the brain structure remains intact. There's no fundamental barrier to recovering the the information content uh, based on what they know now. Other people say there's tons of barriers to that. (laughs) Mostly the ones that we just don't know. It sounds hard. It sounds hard to me. Um, 
They, they argue that the brain does not have to stay continually active to survive or retain memory. Mm-hmm. And they hold out hope okay. that some not currently existing nanotechnology will become available in the future, allowing for reanimation and then being able to treat the disease which killed someone or whatever, right? Right. Uh, there's also this thing called uh, memory uploading, I believe, or, or mind uploading. That's another another option where they can scan somebody's mind and then upload that neuron by neuron onto a computer. So that, at that point, people are just like basically chatting with you. Who knows? It's like a sentient AI, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. So but you could be you could be like a robot. That would be the idea. Like I would just access you. Like I would text you. Hey, Brown, what's up? You could maybe talk to me. I don't know. Maybe I'll have like a robot ears. Okay. All right. Maybe you know that that makes it kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so just shed at, this body. Yeah. Upload me. Give me some bionic legs. Yeah. Yeah. Give me something better. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) It's my robo dick. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I mean, you had to, you had to do it. You had to do it. Lowest hanging, lowest, low hanging fruit, low hanging fruit. That's right. Uh, so let's look at the history a little bit. Cryopreservation with human cells started in the 1950s uh, with frozen sperm that was then thawed out and used to inseminate three women. And that actually worked. And it worked. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Robert Ettinger, he was a professor at Michigan. He first proposed the idea of freezing humans in 1962. He wrote uh, The Prospect of Immortality. And then he kind of played a role throughout. He actually is, he has been frozen himself now. Um, the first human body frozen and that was frozen was in 1966 this unnamed woman at the time had already been embalmed for like two months prior so they ended up eventually they thought her out and they buried her mm-hmm. sounds so <laughs> weird to say they thought her out and just put her in the ground like, yeah that's i think her, they gave her back to the relatives the relatives had a, a burial all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh man james bedford he was the first human body to be frozen with the hope of future revival he had terminal cancer the procedure started just hours after he died uh, and he's the only body frozen free 1974 that's still preserved today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Only oh, so he's only one body frozen. He's the only one pre 1974 that's still preserved. Okay. Yes. Was, it, was 1974 a, a big date? It's the date in which no other bodies before that. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's he was like in the late 60s, early 70s, and I guess any other ones that were in that same time, they either thawed out or didn't work or whatever. He's still preserved. Gotcha. Now. Got it. Uh, have you heard of why uh, the, the the seed money startup accelerator Y Combinator? Yeah. So they did Airbnb and all that other stuff, mm-hmm. right? They've launched a startup in 2005. Uh, well, anyway, several years ago, called Nectome. Uh, it preserves brains and chemicals rather than freezing them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so this would be more for like the memory uploads type stuff, right? Where they scan the neurons, they upload it to a computer or, or mind upload or whatever. Um, but these chemicals, it's they're they're fatal, so it's a it's a type of euthanasia. Uh, you know, you, let's say you're 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 you have a terminal illness, they'd put these chemicals into your brain, you'd be under general anesthesia, you'd die, and they'd be able to preserve your brain. Hmm. So, hmm. the thing is, like, you can just like, there's nothing more to say, right? Because we don't <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen with it at that. I mean, in terms of like, I have more to say, but like in terms of like, right? And then we see what happens because it's who knows. It's like. Hopefully, you guys keep working on this. Yeah, I guess. And I guess I'm in the same boat as I was before. I was dead. Yeah. So now I'm dead with a possibility of coming back. Right. And a lot of these like, people, I feel like, are also, uh, you know, it's their it's their form of. There are a lot of are like atheists. I think like their their form of religion. Right. It's like, well, if there's a chance that I can come back and be with my family again, right. 
even if it's a hope or a chance, let's do that kind of thing. Right. 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 So cryonics and practice. You might be thinking to yourself, this must be expensive, right? It is. It's expensive. <laughs> As of 2018, the costs range from $28,000 to $200,000. Okay. And the costs can include, these costs include medical personnel being there at the time of your death, uh, vitrification, which is the slow cooling and freezing without the formation of ice, right? Because mm-hmm. the ice crystals can mess everything up. So it's just it's you don't it's just dropping these temperatures and you have these like chemicals in there that keep ice from forming but the temperature drops right. Got it. Uh, transportation to a facility and dry ice and then uh, a payment into a trust fund that's intended to keep these bodies frozen in liquid nitrogen indefinitely. Hmm. Right. So it's something you need to have a payment. Okay. So it, it's a payment that will kind of keep accruing interest that would hopefully pay for, pay the, storage. for the storage. Yeah. Because I was going to say if I did this, I would just put it on a credit card. Yeah, so die <laughs> my family's screwed whatever yeah exactly i mean co- come after them <laughs> yeah uh some people just opt- wake up and there's just like uh sir we've been running interest on this for the past uh the years 24 65 years 24 55 uh, know, 14 quintillion dollars <laughs> yeah. uh how's inflation these days Is that a low number? I mean, come on. <laughs> what's that number okay yeah. some uh some people do opt to just have their brains cryo preserved um just their head yeah just their head ted williams for example huh yeah there was a book I read called The Day After Tomorrow yeah. that was um, like a Nazi thriller. Uh-huh. And at the end of that book, sorry to people that want to read it, and sorry to the author, I forget who it is. Yeah. Uh, it's like you find out that Hitler had like put his, they'd mm. frozen his head and he's coming back. Nice. Putting him on a new body. Yeah. I'm not sure that Ted Williams was just a head. I know he was frozen mm-hmm. somehow, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was just his head or not. Um, so this was as of 2014, so I'm sure the number's grown by at least five or six, but... Approximately 250 corpses have been cryopreserved in the USA. Um, 1,500 people have signed up uh, for cryopreservation after they die. So it's probably around 1,500, 2,000 people. Or this is their their final plans, right? This is their death wish, basically. Mm-hmm. What are some obstacles to success? Well, <laughs> other than the fact that it's most likely impossible to reanimate bodies, there's other things as well. Preservation damage. So the cells that are frozen often don't come back 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have large origin, large organs tend to crack, that kind of thing. So anything that can go wrong in the preservation process, especially over time, there's just there's it's a barrier to making this whole thing work. Right. Uh, revival, we don't know how to do that yet, so that's a barrier to, to right. success there. I mean, even if you did the thaw, right, and so Throw the body, in a microwave, you're still having to do a similar thing now. That would be how do we get yeah. you to come back to life? I think you just put the body. It depends on how fat. If you want to. If you have time, you can just leave it in your refrigerator overnight. <laughs> but if you need it really quickly, just put it in a bowl of like room temperature water. Yeah. And then it'll be... It tastes just as good. Right. Uh, then you got to worry about reversing the cause of death, typically. Right. right. Uh, repairing any kind of damage from lack of oxygen. So a lot of tissue damage. Mm-hmm. And then there's some legal issues, right? Uh, most countries, they treat cryo-frozen bodies as deceased humans, right? Because you can't legally cryo-preserve somebody who is not legally dead. Uh, in France, your only options are to be buried, cremated, or officially donated to science. It's illegal in British Columbia as well. I don't, I'm not sure why they just put those two. Uh-huh. But uh, it is legal to have your body shipped somewhere where cryonics are legal. So in France, I guess they would just consider this as a donation to science. But then at that no, point, no, you can't. These... You can't be froze. You have to go. Like, you have to like go to Russia or the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. And I think that Russia and the U.S. are the only two countries that do this as well. Hmm. Yeah. It is an interesting legal question. Uh-huh. You'd still have to have like ownership of your body. Right. 
It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there are ethical arguments against and ethical arguments for one list outweighs the other. I'm sure you can probably guess which one that is. <laughs> ethical arguments against uh, changes the concept of death. Yeah. This is all, I guess, is all taking in like to perspective that this will be one day possible, I guess, right? Anyway, it changes the concept of death. Uh, there's the expense of preservation and revival. There's the lack of science that makes revival possible. And then there's also a temptation to use premature euthanasia. So it's like, oh, like, uh, you know, I'm pretty much done with this time period. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm dying. I'm not, I don't, I'm not banking on science to bail me out of this, this sickness that I have, but I'm banking on science 300 years from now to be able to wake me up. Right. That kind of thing. Sort of like, uh, <laughs> I'm overweight now. I could work out and lose it. Not eating for 200 years sounds but pretty good. But maybe I'll just freeze myself and we'll come back later. Yeah, I don't it might, it might be, That might be a little dumbed down. That, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead. I'll bring this up later. Ethical arguments for uh, possibility of mortality. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. You could maybe live forever. Something I don't even want to do. Like, I, I, I know... Well, you can't have... Uh, immortality would just make the earth... Just, it, we would be dead faster, basically. Yeah. We already have way too many people. Now, nobody's dying. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Well, if you're not dying, you're not reproducing. You're not or maybe you're reproducing. Oh, you need like 50 kids. I mean, what do you need? I don't know. Do you, do you, would you, if you had the option to be immortal, would mm-hmm. you be immortal? Would you live forever? Uh, it sounds like uh, right now I'm just picturing Brendan Fraser like messing <laughs> up his wishes and, and bewitched or bedazzled, bedazzled or whatever it was. Oh, great movie. <laughs> yeah. I want to be the richest person on earth. Everybody else is just super poor now. <laughs> yeah. So like it doesn't make it stuff. fun at all. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of this, it, it does, um, there's like a, um, a predisposed idea here that everyone I think sort of latches onto with this idea of freezing the body and then coming back is that your mind or your entity, like your consciousness is somehow separate from your body. And yes. I, I think that argument is not I think finalized. They, so people argue that like, yeah, your personality, if it's like, if everything's intact in your brain and all like the neurons and all the you know, all the wires are still intact. And it's you, the idea is that you can continue to be you, but after nobody knows after 200 years, you might wake up and have n- not even be the same person. Like, right. And also nobody, you know, is going to be around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who cares? Well, what are you going to do? You're going to be a science experiment for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, also, what do you wake up and you'd be like, Oh, it's like I'm me. And there everyone's like, well, we didn't really know you before. Yeah. You wake up a hundred years from now, you turn on the news. It says coronavirus year 100. And you're like, what the f- I thought I, I thought I was trying to beat this. Yeah. Uh, we got some notable people who have either been cryogenically frozen or, uh, or have plans to. So Ted uh-huh. Williams, like I mentioned, great slugger. Mm-hmm. Larry King has arranged for his body to be frozen. You know, Larry King popsicle, Peter Thiel. <laughs> yeah. All these weird guys. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Walt Disney. That's actually an urban legend. Urban legend yeah, yeah. He was cremated. Uh, Timothy Leary, the psychedelic drug guy, he wanted to be cryogenically frozen, but changed his mind shortly before he passed. Hmm. And then that piece of trash, Jeffrey Epstein, actually came out that he, this is kind of disgusting, wanted his head and his penis frozen so he could see the human race with his DNA. Oh, my God. And that wasn't a red flag for anybody, apparently, when he said stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that guy is such a skis. Yeah, I mean, he's the worst. The absolute worst. So... After I've, I'm sure I've convinced you now. You're probably asking yourself, how can I go about doing this? Yeah. Well, you can get a membership to Cryogenics Institute. Or is that what it's called? Yeah, Cryogenics Institute. You get a membership. You just pay for it, right? 
uh, cryonics.org. You can either do a lifetime membership. You have a fir- an upfront fee of $1,250. You're a member for life. And then you have the option of doing the whole process at the end of your death, at the end of your life, uh, for $28,000. This doesn't include uh, certain handling fees, like actually getting you to their laboratory and like that whole thing. Right, right. Uh, if you don't want to pay the $1,250 upfront, you can do an annual fee where you pay $120 a year. There is a $75 initiation fee with this one. There is no initiation fee with the lifetime membership. And the whole process is $35,000. So it's another extra seven grand there. I would just do probably the lifetime membership uh, because you have some great perks, what's included. Other than being immortalized, you get voting rights in the Cryogenics Institute, Cryonics Institute. Uh, You can run for any of the institute's uh, official elected uh, offices uh-huh. up to and including president. Hmm. Uh, and you get a subscription to the magazine. Oh, well, the I mean, CI magazine. I'm interested in the magazine. Yeah. I think they're just looking to any way that you give them money because they know it's going to work out. Right. This is like a company that like, why don't you, you know, buy a star and name it after you. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's an, there's an infinite. Right. You know, right. Just give, just give me 10 bucks. Can you imagine if this, like, if something like this did work and then somebody gets awoken 20, like 200 years later and they just bring back some long extinct disease and just wipes out everybody again? Yeah. Could happen. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you would get, you would wake up and you would immediately get killed by some disease because you haven't stayed current with the viruses. Right. You know, you have to get so many vaccines. Oh, they just keep shooting these vaccines into you. Yeah. And then one last point, just another thing I was thinking of is, you're putting a lot of uh, faith in this company to to keep running. Like I think I read companies have a one in a thousand shot of lasting a hundred years as is. Yeah. Now you have this company who you're saying, all right, I'm going to pay you for this now, and then however many years down the line, you're still going to keep. You're I'm going to be. Fr- you're going to make sure that I'm frozen. Right. Right. I mean, you got to think that the CEO uh, will leverage the uh the building that you're stored in yeah and then finally you know it ends uh, up in the bank right and then yeah i don't think goldman sachs really cares about paying and keeping the bill on to we couldn't afford any more liquid nitrogen sorry we got to thaw you out you're done yeah into the ground you go right then you get you got screwed mass corona grazers yeah that's why i think i'd be maybe more interested in uploading myself to the cloud just freezing your brain yeah or I think most people doing the the nectome thing and yeah, I don't think people need to see my body, right? I think that they just want to experience a little bit of my <laughs> my jib jab, <laughs> <I> just <laughs> my wit. Yeah, uh, it'd be hilarious to like have you would be in history books is like this is a rendition of what we think the Michael Pelican looked like, and it's yeah. just like some caveman <laughs> <laughs> next to the computer. reconstructed, yeah, bone views. Going back yeah. on what we know of humans from back then, <gasps> this is what he looked yeah. like. <laughs> Tell me what you know. Yeah. There's just a headset on, like hunchback or a, <laughs> or a microphone. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> on your computer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a little crash course in cryonics. Yeah, that's a good topic. I like that one. We should, we should freeze ourselves for the podcast. Oh yeah. I mean, I got a lot more of these we need to do. Throw this in a forever. <laughs> throw this in a time capsule along with our frozen brains. Well, I'm already hopeful that what we're our show is going to make it into the capsule that goes into the the um, the hive that people go to when a, a comet is finally found to hit yes. the, the Earth, mm-hmm. and that some people's listening to this years in the future. Yeah, as like that's all they've gotten created. It's a gray day here in Arlington, Virginia. Right yeah, now. how is it down in the bunker? 
All you Aussies down there. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. All right. That's a good topic. Thank you. Michael, we haven't had any cat stuff this season. Yeah, it's been going really well. <laughs> so I had to bring it up. Uh-huh. One thing I learned is that a cat can fall from nearly any height and have a remarkable survival rate. In a study done by the American Veterinary Medical Association, 132 cats falling from an average of five and a half stories and as high as 32 stories, the latter of which is more than enough for it to reach its terminal velocity of 60 miles an hour, a pretty low terminal velocity. Oh, they're not uh, very they have massive. <laughs> well, massive and they also they go uh, very Bree, flying. Your cat Bree, squirrel. for example, would probably have a little bit higher terminal velocity. No, she's pulling no. a little bit more weight. No, not yeah. Bree. Uh, they have a survival rate of 90%, assuming they are taken to medical attention. This does not mean they don't require medical attention. Uh, if they didn't receive medical attention, I'm sure many of them would die. But they do survive the fall. In what country are people doing studies where just throwing cats out of buildings? It's not. It's They're, they're just studying. I want to be there. Well, so <laughs> the problem with the one, one problem with the study is that, yeah, if the cat dies, you're not bringing it into the vet. To the vet. Right. So they're only seeing cats that survive falls. But some cats have survived 130, have 32 stories. It's yeah. like almost 400 feet. Yeah. Just broke their little cat legs. Yeah. And they got to land on something kind of flat or soft, like some grass mm-hmm. or like a cardboard. Yeah. Big pot of lasagna. Something. Yeah. Anyways, that's what I learned. Nice. That's good stuff. One thing that I learned this week, well, I didn't really learn it. I already knew this, that the universe is big, like like infinitely big. But I got, I kind of looked more, to, I got a new perspective on it. So for every star in our galaxy in the Milky Way, there's roughly an equal number of galaxies out there. Mm-hmm. So somewhere between 100 and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, so 104 billion galaxies, 400 billion galaxies out there, which makes, it brings the number between, for the number of stars in the entire universe, between 10 to the 22nd and 10 to the 24th stars. Roughly, this means that for every grain of sand on all of Earth's beaches, there's 10,000 stars out there. <laughs> You're telling me there's no life? There's absolutely life. And now we're finding out that there is more likely than not a planet orbiting each star. Yes. So, so if, so I think through- within the Milky Way, and I don't want to get too into this because I might talk about this later. <laughs> at least part of it, but there's around 100,000 Earth-like planets within our galaxy. Within our galaxy? Yes. Yeah, I, I saw something that was recently talking about that we're finding out more and more mm-hmm. that the likelihood is increasing just because we're noticing that there are more and more uh, planets than we realized. Yeah. But yeah, nuts. Crazy stuff. So either we're just dumb and they don't want to talk to us anymore or there's some other things out there. Well, it's also, as we, I think I might have brought this up on another episode, the Speed of Light episode. True. There aren't that many stars within like 100 light years of us. Like, there's maybe, I think there's only like 500. Uh. So, like, it kind of takes that number and changes it. So, it's like, it, it puts also puts it into perspective. That's even so, if you traveled for the speed of light, the fastest you can go. Yeah. Without, you know, some other technology we don't know about. Right. Uh, it would st- still 100 years to get to, to get to these stars. And yeah. if we haven't heard from them, there's not life there. So we're probably just screaming into the void. <laughs> maybe we're just like, maybe we're just uh, like a really rural 
Earth. <laughs> well, we're, well, we're like in the middle of Kansas, and everybody else is hanging out in like Tokyo. Maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it could be something like that. Uh, there's also the the argument that's like, hey, we've got technology. Why don't we go teach it to the baboons? It's like they're not going to get it. So why would we go tell it? Yeah. So it's like, are we're, we're, we're baboons? We're the baboons, and they're just not telling us about it because they're like they're stupid idiots. Yeah. I'm so, not going to get into it anymore because I do want to talk about this. I love date. it. Okay. That's what I learned. Michael, I think our topics might be somewhat aligned Uh-oh. in the sense that we might be coming at this from similar places, looking at this coronavirus stuff and just thinking thinking through ways that we can get out of this reality that we're in. Right. Michael, tell me what you know about virtual reality. Virtual reality. You want to uh, freeze yourself and wake up later? Yeah. This is now, let's just create a whole new world right now that we can experience. Yes. Uh, I have, so I mean, there's so many places to start from here. If you're yeah. looking at like the entertainment aspect of it, you have like Oculus or PlayStation VR, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've actually never played one of those before. Do you have one? I had a PSVR, PlayStation yeah. VR. Yeah. I bought it. And then I played it once, and I never played it again. Did you sell it? I sold it yeah. recently. Oh, and actually, okay. for a decent amount of... Like, like, That's right. I remember that now. For more money than I thought I would get for it. I thought it was just something you'd put in a bag and put in your closet. Yes. Um, but it sounds like some people still play it. Yeah. No, I think they play that Beat Saber game. Beat Saber? Yeah. Yeah. I, I and, and just clarification here, I don't go into all the different products and yeah, all yeah, the games yeah. and stuff sure, that are sure. out there. It's just, it's too vast right now. Of course. But I, I do go into the history. But of I it. also don't know that it's exactly, I don't know that the hardware has, is where it should be for it to be, at least for me, something that I want to spend money on. Yeah. Um, virtual reality based. So it just takes you out of the real life and it puts you in a world where you feel like you're immersed in yeah. a computer essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like an immersion. Yeah, CGI I, I immersion. love watching uh, videos of p- people taking videos of people doing VR, and then they're like climbing a mountain and just face plant because they lose, <laughs> they get like vertigo or something. Yeah, they just lose all sense of balance yeah. and just fall. So I, I like some somebody just like speared their TV, thinking they were like walking <laughs> a uh, plank. Anyway, uh, tell me some more about virtual reality. Yeah. Um, well, no, so you, you hit on you hit on the main point of what it is, uh-huh. right? Um, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history. Yeah. And then I'm going to talk to you a little about the modern technologies that we've done. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about like the pros and cons, kind of like where it's headed as well. Okay. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about simulation theory. All right. All right. Yeah. This, this whole, uh, we're actually, I'm plugged up to a headset somewhere yeah. in a big, just like warehouse of bodies right now. Yeah. 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 We're full matrix. And now I'm going to be killed off because I just said that out loud. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that actually. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, the idea behind this goes, it, it really depends on how you want to get so um, constraining with the definition, mm-hmm. right? So let's go all the way back to like the beginnings of trying to make things a little bit more 3D and immersive. We can go all the way back to the 1830s when the stereoscope was created, which is a lot farther back. But I will say the technology hasn't gotten like that much more complex than this uh-huh. in the sense that the, have you ever used a scary, a stereoscope? I have no idea what a stereoscope a is. A stereoscope is one of those things like you, you hold up to your eyes mm-hmm. and you look through the, the goggles. It's not really a goggle. It's more of like, um, almost like glasses with okay. some magnif- magnification. Yeah. And then there are two images on the, like the, there's like a wall in front of your face. Maybe, I don't know how exactly far in front, um, I think depends on the image size of the pictures, okay. but but it's maybe a foot in front, and they're taken at slightly different angles to give the illusion that your eyes, 
that your mind will put together. It'll yeah. merge the two pictures together. Like it's with some depth or something. And it makes it seem like there's some depth. Gotcha. So that was first made in the 1830s. Uh-huh. Um, in 1939, at the World Fair, uh, something came out called the ViewMaster stereoscope. And these, I think you might have definitely played with. That's like might the have magic, I, magic viewfinder view thing, yes. the kit where you put the, has a little round uh, disc, the yep. circled, circular disc that yep. just has it, different images on it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those. And there's like different formats, different designs of those. What's that called? You, uh, a, a ViewMaster. 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 Sure, yeah. I watched a video of this woman who collects ViewMasters. And so she collects, I think she had like over 30 different ViewMaster styles of like the, I forget, like the holders. Yeah, yeah. And then she had, I mean, there's a massive collection of um, the, the, the images. images and the cards. Yeah. Um, which actually, I think it's actually, you know, it's pretty cool for its time. Uh, I mean, you're, the idea was is that you could, you know, look at Paris and they'd take pictures of Paris and then you'd click similar like a picture and then you'd go to the, you know the eiffel tower mm-hmm. and the louvre and the rest so like it's i mean a pretty cool thing to have in 1939 to look through and almost feel like you're you're there yeah um but yeah i mean th- that whole idea behind like what i what i meant the 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 technology behind two pictures that your mind puts together is not that much different than what it is now mm-hmm. uh, when when maybe you use your phone or one of these vr uh, uh headsets headsets yeah it just kind of uses your brain um in 1929, this is a lot further back than I thought, this guy, Edward Link, made the Link Trainer, which was the first flight simulator. Okay. And this was actually more one that, not necessarily one that you would put a headset on or be looking through. Um, maybe maybe they had a projector on, but it was one of those things where it had a hydraulic system and yeah, you'd yeah. sit in it and you'd fly a around. Simulator. Simulator, but it had rumble and it, and it gave you, you know, the ability to feel like you were doing that. So the U.S. military bought six of those trainers yeah. uh, in the 1930s, I'm sure. And then during World War II, 500,000 pilots trained on those, on 10,000 of them. So, I mean, like 500,000 pilots, yeah, that's a lot yeah. to, to get like some experience flying. Like, I mean, that even early on is like a, a really early version of a flight simulator trainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 I was really shocked that it went back that far. Uh, then you had a... a contraption called the sensorama oh this guy morton high league in 1956 built uh it's a video experience where you would kind of sit in a chair almost like similar like an arcade looking game yeah you'd sit in a chair you would put your head in this thing and, <laughs> it, and it was called motorcycle and so it would it it gave you they called these things um uh i think in a brave new world they called these things the feelies so uh-huh. like uh back in when movies added talking called the talkies yeah so that this would be the, the next evolution of movies called feelies right so now you can feel you can sense like all of your olfactory uh system gets gets smells yeah yeah feeling um and all that different stuff so uh you'd hear the roar of the engine feel the vibration feel the wind it had like a little propeller um mm-hmm. fan. fan um and yeah, it, it it never really took off, but these sort of it was like very innovative for its time. Well, now and they're just in theme parks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I, I was gonna, I had to say, like these things, these they're in Dave and Buster's now. Yeah, like you go, you have the Jurassic World one, yeah. and you've got all these different things, and basically they're exact same as this. They never took off, I guess, because at this time it was like too complex a contraption to to give to an arcade. I think it would break. Yeah, you have to fix it, and then right. people were just like, I, I can't keep doing this. Um, he also came up with other ideas that were sort of in the um, evolution of movies uh, 
silo. He created a he had a concept for like an IMAX type screen called the Thrillerama. You so, go in and you get on a big screen. I yeah. have to stop you right there. I I uh, it has nothing to do with VR, but I just feel like in like the 30s, 40s, 50s when like being an inventor was your job title would have been so awesome. Oh, yeah. I can just see me like I call it the Sensorama. <laughs> just like yeah. it's just like quirky, wacky dudes. It's like yeah. oh, I'm an inventor. Yeah, just like four hundred thousand things that you will never see the light of day, and then yeah. like I've done it this time. Right. Well, there's stories about this guy going to Ford and GM, yeah. talking about like put these into your showroom, right? And they'll give you your the experience of driving this car. It's like we could just let them go out and drive the car, right? You know, like yeah. never took off. But yeah, I totally agree. Like. Sort I of, I want to be an inventor. Yeah, go, go back and be an inventor. Just yeah. a crazy guy. Yeah, like a like a Doc Brown. Yeah, um, yeah. And so then in 1960, he came out with another invention. This was a headset. Okay, uh, it's called the Telesphere mask, mm-hmm. and this was one that you you'd put on your head, and it, I guess, did all these different different things similar to what like an Oculus does now. Um, so now I'll I'll, I'll just go through a couple of the. Uh, Things after this that I, I just want to touch on. Um, NASA got into it in 1980s to train astronauts. Yep. Um, there was like virtual reality group arcade machines. Like, do you remember in, um, not blank check, but um, the one where Sinbad, first, first, first kid. kid. Doesn't he go and there's like a virtual reality thing where he's like maybe shooting something in the video game. I know like, in blank check, he's got one. He's sitting on maybe, that like uh, maybe, maybe, orb hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm like, thinking of blank check. Yeah. I always merge those two movies. And he, you think he only did that with a million dollars. Only a million bucks. Yeah. That's all you needed. Yeah. Back, man, that stuff was so cheap when you were 11. <laughs> <laughs> um, 1993, you had Sega announced new VR glasses. Mm-hmm. Obviously like uh, Nintendo did a virtual, virtual boy yeah, in virtual 1995. Boy. Yeah. Um, Google comes onto the comes onto the map. Like, does Google VR glasses? Um, yeah, Google VR. What about their Google Glass? Was that Go- the same thing? Google Glass. That's yeah. that's another one I'm thinking of. Yeah, they also had one where they had the cardboard VR. That's what I'm thinking of. Google VR. Yes, they, they had yeah, this yeah, like yeah. big marketing push where I think they were just trying to make people experience this stuff yeah. with the hope that it would pick up a lot more. Right. Anyways, um, that's kind of like all the different types of. Uh, uh, products that they made the games you can imagine are just infinite you know whatever you can imagine especially once computers get involved they can start simulating you know basically whatever you want the odd thing is that it it, it never really catches on like with people i don't think that the uh, software has caught up to the hardware yet i don't think there's any replayability with like a lot of the games and stuff like that you mean in the sense that like there's no um all right, or so like think a multiplayer about, game. Or when you, you think mean? about like a virtual reality game, the first thing that comes to my mind is like a shooter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no, I don't think that they, from what I've seen, they don't have, it's, the experience isn't, people that play shooters are going to want it to feel like they're playing on a console or uh, a PC. They want that, like that control and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not getting that with this yet. You know what you I mean? I think it's like, I want to be able to just turn around, but like, I want to do it with my hands. Like I want to do I it. I want to be able to have, I mean, maybe it's hard, but I want to be able to at least... There should be. Uh, I think the. I think that the. The floor for like the skill level is like way too low, maybe, and like the mm. ceilings you can't quite break through it. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but I. I just don't think that the software is caught up with the hardware yet. Like once yeah. they get that, you know, AAA rated title, that's gonna break through. Break through, maybe then it'll happen. Yeah. Um, Do you also know. think that they have a problem with moving in? You know 
moving in 3D space if you're just in your living room. Like, yeah, of course. It, with that kind of game, you know, you're playing a um, a map that yeah. is large, but yet you're confined to your living room. Right. You know, like... And let's say you need a crouch. You don't... You have to push a button still. Kind right. Kind of, right? Right. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I just think it's got a little ways to go still. Yeah. Okay. Almost there. We will talk a little bit more about this, but... Yeah. Uh, so, you have Oculus, you mentioned. Yeah. All right. So, Oculus was founded by a kid, hmm. Palmer, Palmer Lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucky spelled with an E. L-E-Y. Okay. Or K-E-Y. Excuse yes. me. Yes. Uh, he's from Long Beach, California. Um, he was homeschooled. He was like an engineer, but he was very just computer focused growing up. He started to go to go to college when he was like a mid teenager, like fourteen mm-hmm. or fifteen. Um, he he kind of would always dabble in these in these types of VR experiences. And he was he had like side side businesses of fixing iPhones for people to generate some money. Uh, he would collect different VR devices, and then he finally just he. You know, I grew tired of the options out there and right. decided to build my own. Um, so he built his own, uh, and it caught the attention of this guy John Carmack, who was creator of Doom and Quake. Yeah. Uh, and so he used it and was really impressed by the the prototype that that Palmer built, and he demoed a version of uh, Doom Three at some um, you know video game expo. Yeah. So uh, he got some attention from this, and he started a Kickstarter campaign, and it raised you know. Almost, I think it was like seven hundred times the the amount they were trying to raise. He, he ended up being two point four million dollars in this Kickstarter. Yeah, wow. And that, I think that really just caught the attention that wow, there's a lot of uh, a this kid has built hardware that's really impressive. Yeah, and b there's a market for a good for for good hardware. Yes. So he got <laughs> a ton more uh, interest from from business. Fast forward to two thousand fourteen. Facebook buys Oculus for $3 billion, making Lucky an estimated $700 million. Yeah. Okay. So that's sort of, that's Oculus in a nutshell in the sense that that's kind of where it developed. Yeah. They've got three different products now. They've got the Oculus Rift, Mm -hmm. Oculus Quest, and the Oculus Go. Okay. They're all fairly similar, except they've started to roll out ones that now don't require um, handsets. There were like two remote controls that you'd have in each hand. One, I think, only has one controller. Uh, but they're now moving towards one that it now senses where your hands are. And and also, it's removed the the requirement to be plugged up to a PC. Uh-huh. It's now fully contained in the goggles. And it doesn't require like a phone or something else, another, a computer to, to run it and right. do the, the computations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think this is like the company on the forefront. They are, yeah. I would say. Right. There are other companies out there doing good stuff. Like PSVR was very popular. It sold mm-hmm. a lot. Um, when I remember plugging it, plugging it in so many different cords when I first got it. Really? Oh, man. It was just, it was a lot. Yeah. You had a little uh, camera that was above your TV, like kind of looking at you so it could tell what you're doing. Again, like really cool tech. Yeah. Like it works like pretty good. Connect as well, well for Xbox. Yeah. That yeah. Whole thing. Yeah. And again, the, the, there's a lot of technology in there. It's just, I'll, I'll get some kind of my critiques of it, but. Um, yeah, they didn't really say we'll go into the games, but basically everything you can kind of imagine. First person shooter, I think, is what people are trying to get to, mm-hmm. tr- as you're pointing out, trying to get that, that one breakthrough game. Yeah. Right. I think so. Um, so yeah, let's talk about a little bit of like where it's headed. Um, so it really depends on like the core use. I think that there is the one aspect that, which is just pure entertainment. And this kind of goes in the Ready Player One Steven Spielberg movie where you're like just 
escaping your reality and it's purely entertainment. There are a lot of, as we mentioned with the flight simulator, there are a lot of uses that are, are you know, really useful yeah. for training, right? So this can be, there have been uh, studies that have shown that people that work uh, or surgeons that train on a, a simulator can get down to a 1% error rate without ever touching a body. Mm. So, I mean, like, yeah, pretty impressive. Um, think about like golf simulators. Uh, yeah. A ton of training stuff. I mean, obviously, you look at what we're going through now, coronavirus, it's nice to be able to, you don't necessarily need to go someplace. You could train for something at home. Um, maybe you could have an immersive experience without having to travel around. You could still feel like you went to Paris without having to get on a plane and subject yourself to the coronavirus or spread it. You know what I mean? So yeah. there are like these uses. I don't think they're as rich. Right. Um, but yeah, there, it, there are certainly reasons for why people could want this, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the next question would really be like, will it ever be more than games? I think I'd make the argument, will will games ever really get there, to your point? Like, I, 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 at least with surgery, at least you're preparing for something. Yeah. Oh, this kind of sucks, but at least it's better than killing somebody. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I mean, I think, well, who knows? Like, so it's been, I feel like it's been a while since there's been, I don't know. Like there, it's been a lot of uh, incremental uh, progress with like consoles and PCs and stuff like that. I feel mm-hmm. like Just waiting on the next and whatever the next thing is. Right. Which I think Google thinks it's this Stadia, which is basically just a streaming. You don't have, to have a console. You just got a controller, basically. Right. There's just no. I, that's got a long way to go. Yeah, you're, just I would the, imagine the lag is gonna like the the input lag is gonna be. Yeah through the roof yeah because when people are trying to get down that's why people are buying this hardware because you get these like tick rates and you get these these frames you get these 240 hertz monitors and all that kind of stuff every single movement is precise and exact and you're not there's no lag there's no delay between what you're doing and what's happening right with something that's completely in the cloud like as a gamer you'd probably say latency is like the number one thing you're trying to have like be the smallest amount possible right yeah um yeah like the what downloading the game takes a few hours maybe well i'll just do it overnight like it's done like, yeah what, it doesn't what, even take that long if you're not using the th- like if, yeah especially yeah yeah decent internet. that was maybe like right five years ago right um yeah depends on how many movies i'm torrenting at the same time <laughs> right <laughs> right um did you ha- this isn't really necessarily vr but it is an experience that i'm pretty interested um fortnite doing like virtual concerts yeah. In this time. So Travis Scott had a virtual concert recently. Over 12 million concurrent mm-hmm. people yeah. uh, watched it. Yeah, That's I caught, I caught a, a bit of it during the live part of it. I watched a YouTube video of it. I mean, hey, it looks kind of cool. It's crazy. Is he So the guy, Travis Scott, the performer, is this like large, almost Godzilla-looking guy yeah. looking out over, and then you're below looking at him. And they've perform. done... They've, it's pretty that's, cool. That's not the first time they've done that either. They had yeah. Marshmallow perform. I know they, they have like Dylan Francis do it a bunch of... Like a bunch of... A lot of... Uh, uh, like DJs mm-hmm. will do that kind of stuff as well. I mean, it's definitely shows the power of it as a social media platform. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, or like a social meetup place. Yeah. Similar to like, you're going to go with, I was going to say like Sim City, but like you're for real. I don't know. I, it, it was kind of one of those things like they didn't necessarily intend for it to be that way, but it ended up happening. Like, you know That's, what we could do? We could just throw a concert here. Oh, yeah. then it gets everybody into their game and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Well, if you go back and, and look a little bit more about what Epic Games is doing, I mean, I, 
you and I recently shared that video, the Unreal 5 engine yeah. and all that uh, new technology there. Um, they have a lot of other products that they're using that engine for. Like a lot of um, like ESPN, I think you can use it for live video production. Mm. So it's like live graphics that get made while the set is there. Like if you ever watch College Game Day, right? You know they're putting a lot of stuff Those into big the boards that are like the whatever they're called. Right, right. They look they're, like big scoreboards that are just exactly. They're not. They're not really there, people. Yeah, they're not really there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it has a lot of other uses. Stuff. And yeah, it, it kind of gets into it where I've almost the augmented reality where mm-hmm. you're using computers to just overlay um, rather than taking up the entire uh, world and you're immersed in. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the cons. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about motion sickness that people feel mm. while playing it, like nausea, uh, headaches. Um, it's sort of antisocial, you know. Like, I, not I was, if you're in VR with all your friends. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I will say the one reason why I didn't play it all the time was because I started a getting like freaked out that. I would be wearing this and then somebody would enter the room and get really close to me and I wouldn't know it because I was fully immersed in this game. Yeah. Whereas if you're just playing a game on the couch, you know, it's still somewhat passive. Somewhat passive. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like, that that was one reason why I didn't play it that much. It's right. like I had to either be in the game or I had to not be in the game. And that's why I was just, I was just not getting in the game then. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, VR, obviously, you know, people always talk about um, the pornography industry driving a lot of technology because oh, yeah. the consumption of it is so high. Right. That is a key factor in this. Yeah. Like, what, t- how is, how is porn essentially going to use this and how that will guide, like, DVDs, DVDs won over Blu ray or because porn decided to use it. Really? Yeah. That was the whole thing in um, uh, Tropic Thunder. And they're talking about, like, Porn decides that yes. Blu-rays over HD DVDs. Yeah. Anyways. Um, people think it will change the way people behave in the real world. So I know that there's a lot of discussion around violence in video games. And does that create school shootings or something? I think that's ridiculous. That is a critique. I do wonder. It's a critique by people who don't have brains, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think that as you make the game more immersive and more uh, like it mirrors reality, like even a game like Fortnite is pretty cartoonish. Very. Um, but if you try to make a game that is almost indistinguishable from reality, do you think it would change the way people would go out? Like, oh, I'm, I, man, I would have done that in the video game. And I think that, it, no, I don't think so. I think okay. like there's probably a ton of reasons why somebody decides to do something horrible. And like mm-hmm. maybe each thing that is a, like a, influ- this is way off topic, but like it's probably been influenced by several different things. But it'd be like, oh, he played Call of Duty. Now he went and murdered a bunch of people. Right, right. Like it's just very, it's just such an easy like complaint when the larger problem is the kid probably has mental issues. Right, <laughs> right. Well, do you think it would ever, um, maybe not make somebody violent or something, but do you think it would make them desensitized to the real world and that it's not as interesting as the made up world? Uh, yeah i don't know maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah um yeah so uh let's talk then a little bit about where this heads simulation theory yeah all right so do you know a little bit about sim- about if i say simulation theory i just what think of the matrix mean? yeah it's basically the matrix but okay. so the the logic behind the idea 
is that we're all on a simulation. We're on a simulation, and the the logic why behind that is that um, if you are a society that has enough computing power to create um, an environment that is indistinguishable from your real environment, then it increases the probability that you are in a simulation in the far future mm. and that you're actually living in a simulation created by our, what's the opposite of ancestors? Like our future ancestors. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, I mean that uh, Elon Musk made this <laughs> argument, sisters. our future ancestors. Yes. I don't know. Like we're basically living in a, in a constructed world created by them for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and just based off the logic if it's possible, then we must be in it now. That's the lot. That's the if it, if link. it's if it's ever possible. Yeah, we are probably in it now, just because. So we won't discover. It. Somebody has to discover it, though, right? Somebody has to be able to create it. But you're saying if you reach that point where you can create it, you're already in it, most likely. Yes. Yeah. That's that's the idea. Yeah. Um. I I think that they're. You got a spoon? I'll try and bend it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the Matrix. I mean, yeah. You, you, this, this, this reality is not real. We are not here. Um, I don't know. I think that there is a level of of. It would make a lot. It would make so many makes, things make more sense. It makes some sense. To be honest with you, with Donald Trump being president. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. It would. It would make sense. Um, that it wouldn't make sense that people would make a simulation that would be so mundane though. Like if you, if I think we've talked about this before, but if you created a video game, you want the video game to be fun. Yeah. But why, a video why game would I, why second would I, life where you just live Sims, the Sims like, yeah, no, I know. I guess this is where you've showed me those, those people that go yeah. live in GTA five yeah. as like a normal beat police officer. GTA. 5 why wouldn't you go be role play? Yeah. Like why wouldn't you go be the, the star of your, of your world? Why would you make yourself a mundane player? Yeah. I mean, um, I don't think that people make themselves. It sounds mundane, right? You're just like, uh, you're the cop, right? Or you're just a random dude who, uh, is a taxi driver. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then you create this whole personality, then you ended up getting into antics with other people and that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. I, I guess it's um I think you need to watch more to fit to see. <laughs> I guess I need to watch yeah. more. Um, One guy's the uh he's the news reporter who just goes around and films people doing crimes and rats on them. And <laughs> people get really pissed off. So I mean I, I get it from the st- from the standpoint that you you're getting social feedback from the other people there and that they're real people. Yeah. Um but yeah, it just it's funny that you just go do something that's sort of normal. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'll ask you, do you think we're in a, in a simulation? Uh, you think they're listening? Well, so it actually came up that it, when I was reading about this, somebody was like, if we are, should I change how I'm living so that I, I don't get myself turned off? Like, do, should I do things that are more entertaining for right. the for the viewer? Right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you can't say yes or no with a hundred percent certainty either way. Do I think so? No, but you so, hear that? I do not think this is a simulation. All right. Turn them off. Yeah. Um, if you learned that this was a simulation, would you act differently? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. 
Would you go more like just? I think I'd be like Keanu. Okay. I would like. Well, it depends on if I'd be able to exploit the system or not. If no. I need to start downloading stuff, into no, my brain. you just you just know that you could basically do whatever you'd want, and it's just a simulation. It's not. It's not real. Uh, probably not, because you still have to live within the simulation, right? Yes. So. Yes. Well, I mean, maybe I would like take more risks. Yeah. But nothing like illegal or like I wouldn't mess with. I wouldn't want to like, be put in jail for the rest of my simulated life. Yeah, that would suck. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> Knowing what I know and then be like, well, here I am. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know either. I'm excited to see where this goes. I do think at some point somebody will break through with something really cool. Yeah. Uh, I recommend you watch Ready Player One. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a virtual reality. And that's it for this week's episode. Make sure to like and subscribe if you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Instagram at TMWYK underscore podcast and on Twitter at TMWYK pod. Have a great weekend and we'll see all you beautiful people for a new episode next Friday.